We're in Galatians 1 through 17. If you're using uh, Dark Blue Pew Bible, it's on page 1154. Okay, Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, through the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly desiring him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone is preaching you, to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man, not a, I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, for I'm trying to please man. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul called by God. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my age among my people so extremely zealous for I, for the traditions of my father, fathers, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Amen environment i love you all we know we love the lord jesus and that's what makes us one in christ i want to say on the behalf of sovereign grace chapel we are greatly appreciative of the hospitality you guys have shown us it's amazing um and we are so greatly uh, indebted to you for uh opening up your doors to us and making us feel at home here and we really do so thanks again so much and that's how we all feel about that uh, also, we do have a youth camp, and uh, Pastor Isaac has been uh, one of those that has come in the past and has taught there. We usually have about a dozen different preachers, but we have a teen camp uh, coming up the end of July, July 31st, and it's the following week from Saturday to Saturday. If anyone here would like to come, we'd love to have you. We have probably about a dozen, 15 different churches from around the country, mainly up and down the East Coast. We have about a hundred and 40-some-odd kids that come and about 40-some-odd staff that come from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and all over the place. So uh, it's a great week of, of uh, learning the word. Uh, we have a great bunch of kids, and uh, it's very well managed, too. So anyway, that's something to think about. Okay, Galatians chapter 1, the word of God amazing thing when you think of it that God gave us his word uh, so that we can know the truth how shall we direct our steps the Bible says that the word is like a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path 
And in this epistle, Paul talks about himself first as an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, the churches of Galatia, Paul obviously had uh, some uh, ministry towards and was used of God in their salvation experiences. And so we, uh, we know that that's the background a bit here. Then verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that should stop us in our track. What other book can be said to be from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? This book is divinely inspired. Somebody uh, described the Bible this way, and I think it's a great introduction to appreciating the Bible. It says this, The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand object, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, prayerfully, and frequently. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility will reward the greatest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. What an introduction to what the Bible is. A brother in our church gave to a gal that passes through where he works a, a CD of a message that I spoke some time ago. And in the message, one of the phrases that I used was this. If the Bible isn't true, then nothing matters. But if the Bible is true, then nothing else matters. If the Bible isn't true, then nothing matters. But if the Bible is true, then nothing else matters. Well, he handed her that CD, and that thing just rang in her ears. And she said, that right there stopped me in my tracks. It made me put full attention on the Word of God. And that's what we want to do. You know, since God converted us through the word, because we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever, that word is life-giving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. How much we love the word of God. We should dwell on it, meditate on it, utilize it, and proclaim it boldly. This morning, I want to speak to you about the might and the flight from the gospel. The might and the flight from the gospel. In verse 1, Paul says that he was an apostle not of men or neither by man. Now this is the only epistle that Paul, and he wrote at least 
13 of them, 14th is disputed. Whether Hebrews was written by Paul, I, I personally don't believe it was, but it doesn't really matter. It's all authored by God anyway. But in all of Paul's epistles, if you look at his introductory remarks, they're very similar to one another, but this one stands out as being unique. And the reason why it's unique, because it's only in this, of all of the 13 epistles, Paul uses the expression that he was an apostle not because of men, as the ESV says, not from men, nor through man. That's a phrase that Paul brings up right away, and that becomes important to lay out the importance of what Paul is going to say in this epistle. And if I was to categorize this epistle, I would call it possibly a, a number of different things if I was to give it a theme. I would say it's the gospel that's in jeopardy. I would say that the book of Galatians is reversing the course or maybe possibly correcting the perversion. Paul says he didn't receive this apostleship from man or through man. When you think of it too, what have you received? If you've received Christ as your Savior, how did you get to receive the Lord as your Savior? Was it from man or through man? We can say the same thing. You know, of all miracles that occur, and we hear a lot about many miracles, but you know what the greatest miracle is? Is God's salvation. If you've been born again, that's a miracle. And you're a miracle, a walking miracle. And you should be, we should be praising God to think of what we were, dead in trespasses and sins. We're on the broad road that was leading to destruction. But God had mercy upon us and delivered us from the future and from the present. And we have a relationship with the true and the living God. John 1, 12 and 13 says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Your co conversion is not attributed, like Paul here is saying, my apostleship is not attributed to man. I didn't get it from man or through man. It's the same truth with us. We're children of God not because someone forced this on us or someone talked us into it. It's because God miraculously called you by his grace and brought you into his family. He robed you with a robe of righteousness. He washed you in the precious blood of his lamb. Your name is written in heaven. Your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. What a savior. We get a lot to be rejoicing about, brothers and sisters. See, Paul is saying, I wasn't proselytized. Proselytism is different than evangelism. Evangel in evangelism, we're depending on the sheer sovereign grace of God to awaken a soul to his need of a savior. You know, the Samaritan woman, after she met Jesus in John chapter 4 at the well, like what she did, we should do. She went into the city where she came from and says, come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. That's what we should be doing, telling others what the Lord has done for us. Like when Jesus sent the demoniac man home, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. Well, the Samaritan woman met the Messiah, and she can't keep it to herself. Out of her belly were flowing rivers of living water, and she wants to share that message. She goes into the city, and as a woman, she is speaking boldly, come and see a man that told me. And then they finally, they believed her. But when they came to Jesus, it says that they believed, not because of what she said, 
because of what he said. You see the difference? I'm not depending on what a person told me. I'm depending on what the word of God revealed to me. And that indeed is a miracle. Now, I'm using Paul as an example of our salvation. You might say that's kind of a lofty analogy. You and I being... Uh, parallel to Paul in some way, but he says this in 1 Timothy 1.16, after he says that he was the chief of sinners, he says, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth a pattern of long-suffering to all them that should believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul's saying that the Lord is using me as a pattern for all those, like you and I, hundreds and hundreds of years later, who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that we would receive just what he received, and that is life everlasting and being called into the kingdom. Now let's talk a little bit about the might of the gospel. In verse 4, it says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us or rescue us from this present evil age. The word is Aeonis, which is the word for age that we get from the Greek rather than cosmos, which is the word world, we've been delivered, rescued from it. You know, the gospel is not just about Christ died for my sins. As much as that means so much to us, Jesus' death is more than just that. He rescued us from danger, from the threat of the future, what it would bring to us. And Paul's expressing it that way, who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil age. I go weekly to a methadone clinic to present the gospel on the street uh, where there's dozens and dozens of people there. And there was a fellow that I started to talk with. He's about a 25-year-old husky big fella, young guy, and he was saying, and he goes to the methadone clinic, if you know anything about methadone, they become they're drug dependent, so they have to go for uh, a legal way of keeping their dependency up so that they can survive through their addiction and hopefully get beyond it and, and get clean. That's the ultimate goal, although very few reach that and some who do end up falling back. It's a very sad situation. I think our our society is suffering badly for it, and it's out there more than people realize. Well, anyway, I went over and got talking to him. His name was Derek. I said, Derek, you need the word of God. He said, look, I'm not a drug addict. I started these drugs recently, and I'm hooked on it, and I can't get myself out of it. I said, you need the Lord in your life. That's what you need. I said, you need to start reading the word. I brought him across the street. We have a table of Bibles and stuff. I handed him a Bible. Two weeks later, just last Tuesday, I saw a lady sitting... Uh, on, on the wall, and I went, went across the street and I started chatting with her, and she said this, and glory be to God, she says, I wanna thank you. It, you gave my son a Bible two weeks ago. And she said, since he started reading that Bible, he has stopped taking drugs. I said, really? And in the course of a conversation, again, she said, because of reading the Bible, he has stopped taking drugs. Now, she was waiting for him to come by and pick him up. So I'm looking forward to meeting Derek again. He saw me with his mom. He got out of the car and he gave me a big embrace and he thanked me for the word of God. 
Now, I want to give glory to God because it's not me. It's God's word that's life-giving and powerful. That's what changes hearts. There's power, power, wonder-working power that comes from the preaching of the word of God. And Paul expresses that, that this gospel is so powerful that it delivers a person from the present evil age. Not the law. Someone put it this way in the hymn. He says, to, to work in toil, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But greater news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. You see, what the law could not do, the gospel can do far beyond that. To work in toil the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But greater news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. If you're a gospel converted person, you've got wings to fly spiritually, so to speak. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in that, brothers and sisters. We're not what we used to be. Someone put it this way. I know I'm not what I used to be. No, he said rather this way. I know I'm not what I should be. I know I'm not what I'm going to be, but I do know that I'm not what I used to be. I know I'm not what I used to be. That's one of the ways in which I know that I'm a child of God because I don't think the same way that I used to think. I don't act the same way I used to act. If any man's in Christ, he's what? A new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. How does that newness happen. It's the miracle of conversion. It's the power and the might of the gospel that delivers us from this present evil age. Now, in light of what Paul says about he's not converted, he's not an apostle because it's from man or through man. And there's a bit of a hiatus here uh, from verses uh, uh, 7 to 10 it goes now to verse 11 where Paul is highlighting more about this conversion that he experienced that was not from man or through man. In verse 11, he describes it this way. He says, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel that was preached of me is not after man. I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He was an enemy of the Lord's people of the church himself. That's why he calls himself the chiefest of sinners, because he was out to kill every single believer in the Lord Jesus, hailing them in from wherever they were, bringing them to Jerusalem, having them persecuted and put to death. And amazingly, the Lord converts a man like that. So don't rule out anybody in your life as a potential whom God could save. And he goes on to say, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace that he might reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That was his call to apostleship, was to preach Christ among the Gentiles. True gospel preaching is not anything other than what it should be, and that is preaching about the Lord. Paul says we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. What a theme. There's no subject so glorious as he, no theme so affecting to us. Now Paul is starting to unravel, you could say. In verse 6 he says, 
I'm astonished. I am at, at my end's wit. I, I can't believe it. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. After Paul's description of himself in the miracle of conversion, what it is to be saved, in the Galatians that he's addressing, he, he's addressing them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he's shocked that they are willing to abandon and desert the gospel of Jesus Christ or the grace of the gospel of Jesus. Now, it's interesting the language here. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. It's not, I marvel that you are so soon removed from the gospel, but you are so soon removed from him. You see, getting away from Christianity, getting away from the gospel, getting away from grace is really getting away from Christ. Now, who in their right mind would want to get away from Christ? Who would, in their right mind would want to get away from grace? Who would want to desert and abandon the faith, or I should say the grace of Christ, to another gospel? Now, there's a difference between falling out of grace and falling from grace. To fall from grace is different. Assis Brule said, if you have it, you never lose it. But if you lose it, you never had it. He goes on to say, a Christian can fall seriously and radically, but never fully or finally. That's consoling. It's also concerning at the same time. A Christian can fall seriously and radically. That's a serious part about it the nerve-wracking part about it, but the second part is, but never fully or finally. So these here that have abandoned the gospel, that have uh, turned from him who represents grace, and you and I that have been saved, we are the recipients of grace. Remember in John 1.16 it says, of his fullness have all we received, and grace, it should read, and grace upon grace. What the Lord has, and it goes on to say, that he himself, Jesus, was full of grace and truth. And that, brothers and sisters, is what's communicated to you and I. That's what's transferred to us, is the grace of Christ. Which means you and I, like Paul says, be like me as I am like Christ. He says elsewhere, be ye imitators of me as I am of Christ. You and I are little Jesuses in the world, if I can put it that way. We are the lights of the world. The world lies in darkness. We're the children of light. We've got the truth, the truth that's in Jesus, not in me. If I had it my way, I'd be on the beaches today, Sunday morning. I'd be, I'd be partying all weekend but because the Lord had mercy on my soul and gave me something far better. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store, from each idol that would keep us saying, Christian, love me more. 
Yes, we found something far better than what the world could possibly offer us. That's why Paul says about Jesus that he gave himself for us that he might deliver us or rescue us from this present evil age. That's the Bible's description of the age. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's what's in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And praise God, we have been rescued from that by the power of the gospel. See, there's two ways you can fall from grace. That's what it says right here. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. How is it that someone can fall from him from grace? There are two ways that someone can fall. One is legalism, and the other one is lawlessness. Legalism and lawlessness are the two ways that a person can get away from grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, what's wrong with being legal? No. The legalist orders his life after the letter of the law and not the spirit. He convinces himself that his faith is real because he follows all the rules. The law has become his Lord and it leaves him cold and hard. That's what one will hap- what will happen when one leaves grace, when one leaves Christ, they can fall by way of legalism. The law becomes a substitute, the letter of the law, and I'm not denying the importance of gospel obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's obvious. But there's ways in which people can so-called try to keep the word in a legalistic fashion that's just strictly letter-oriented and not spirit-fueled. Spirit-fueled, that's what we need to be. The second way is a lawless lifestyle. This person manages to slip into a worldly lifestyle and has silenced his conscience, living, living it up without an ounce of guilt and deceiving himself that he's better off without the yoke of Jesus on him. This person refers Egypt's flesh pots for their satisfaction rather than Christ. The hymn writer said, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord, but ah, the waters failed. Even as I stooped to drink, they mocked me as I wailed. Now none but Christ can satisfy, none other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. If you've got Christ in your life, you've got the greatest joy that that is imaginable to, to human thinking, that we could possibly have a peace, as the scripture says, that passes all understanding. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Why would a person want to give up that kind of a peace? Because the devil, as a roaring lion, has walked about seeking whom he may devour. And guess who, who's on the number one praying list of the devils? It's God's people. He doesn't have to pick on the people of the world. They're already his family. But he wants to go after those that belong to the Lord. His people. So we need to be vigilant. You see, the legalist wants to go to Mount Sinai. 
it sounds good. Keep these commandments. Thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. And those are all good. But when that becomes sort of a substitute for Jesus' lordship and a personal growing relationship with him, that person can become very cold and stale and very monotonous, very regimented, and it's all just going through the motions, but there's no heart involved in it. We should be the most enthusiastic people in the world for what we have in comparison to what the world has. The hymn writer says, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. That's how we should be thinking of the world. It cannot satisfy me. Only Christ can. And when we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, do I want anything else? We've got the best of the best. He himself, who says, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall what? Never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. Everybody knows Psalm 23. And even people of the world, you hear it at funerals all the time, and people like kind of applaud, uh, uh, applaud it and whatnot. As it begins, the Lord is my shepherd. And all those other things that follow, follow on the basis that the Lord is your shepherd. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He anoints my head with oil, my cup runs. Who's that? The one whose Lord, Jesus, is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then what? I shall not want. Want what? Want anything but him. The, the whole book of Psalms begins with the Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Or he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I missed that part. This is the rivers of water. And we need to plant our lives near the rivers of water because from it we're going to draw the nourishment and the encouragement. Remember Jesus says, man cannot live by what? Bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This book needs to be cherished, brothers and sisters, to our hearts. And if you're not getting anything out of it, and I know we can have some days when, when it's dry and we just feel like, boy, I didn't get it. I don't remember what I read. I can't remember three sentences before what I just read. I understand there are days like that, but don't give up. We do, we do know that the, the Bible is a powerful, powerful book. A brother one time was trying to in Mexico, try to get an audience of people together to listen to him spreading the gospel out in, in, in a city park. No one was listening, and no one was even looking at him. So he decided to take his sombrero off of his head, and he put it on the ground. And uh, he put it on the ground, then he started dancing around, and he was jumping up and down and saying, it's alive, it's alive, and he was like, appearing to be threatened by what was under it. And he kept doing this for like a minute or two, and people were like, what, what is this? What, what's under there? Finally, when he got a big crowd of people under it, he lifted up the sombrero, and this was what was under it. He says, this is alive. This is alive. Years ago, when it wasn't such a big deal uh, about going through the securities in the airline, uh, in, at the airports, uh, 
this brother had a bag, and one, one of the uh, security guards he says, what do you have in your bag? And he says, dynamite. And that wouldn't go over well now. now ta we're talking about 50 years ago. And he said, what's in your bag? He said, if you don't tell me, I'm going to take you, I'm going to kick you off. Well, he opened up his bag, and he says, this is the dynamite, you know. Well, anyway, I'm not trying to be, sound too radical, but I'm just trying to get my point across of how powerful of a book that we have and how serious it is for believers to fall from grace. Praise the Lord, we can never fall out of grace because God's light shines on us even when we turn our back on him. Someone said, well, what if you turn your back on, on the Lord? He said, well, then the light's going to shine on my back. So you're always in the light. Praise God for that. My sheep shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. For my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. Because I and my Father are one. What security the believer has. So I want to just remind you that we are talking about the authority of the Word of God. Paul says, from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about his conversion as an apostle in a way that it's not from man or through man. It's the miracle of conversion that happened to Paul that is the same miracle that happens to you and I. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. The Lord didn't just die to save you from your sins. He saved you from the present evil age. He saved you for himself. He saved you so that you would be like him, so that you would imitate him, so you would bring glory to him. The hymn writer says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And who else would we want to give our life for? If Jesus died for my sins and saved me from an eternal hell, do I not want to like the cleansed leper who comes back and says with a loud voice, he glorified God, thanking Jesus for his miracle of salvation. And then abandoning Christ, the grace of Christ, to a different gospel. There is no other gospel, by the way. Paul is using hypothetical language here, I believe. He's not talking about the cults. He's talking about those that are perverting the gospel by introducing Judaism and the law, circumcision, and uh, obedience to law commandments like observing days and months and years and so on and so forth. In other words, they're moving from the new covenant back to the old covenant. And Paul says, you're distorting the gospel. The gospel is the new covenant that's been established. We've come to the times of better things. These are better days. We have a better high priest. We have a better covenant. We have a better city. We have a better ministry. We have a better country. And on and on, there's a lot of betters in the book of Hebrews. And Paul is greatly distraught about the fact that those Galatians who embraced the gospel by faith and came to know the Lord have fallen from him who represents grace. And that to Paul was heart-wrenching. And these Judaizers, they were reveling in the fact that they were convincing these people that they needed to be circumcised. They needed to observe certain days and months and years and, and try to give them this zeal for law obedience. And Paul says, 
I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what moves us along. It's the fact that Christ died for me and he lives in me. You know, in years gone by, when a person would go to become a member of a, of a local church, the elders would meet with that candidate and ask that person, well, tell me, how did you get saved? And the person would go on and describe that they believed in the Lord from their heart, that Jesus died for them on the cross, and so on and so forth, and they said it very well. And then they said, okay, the second question is, you've told us first that you, of how you believe that Christ died for you. Now tell us about what Christ is doing in you. You told us what Christ did for you. Now tell us what Christ is doing in you. You see how connected they are. What he did for you is what he does in you. The one who justified you on the cross is the one that sanctifies you in your lifetime. They go together. If you're justified, you will be sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Set apart. You'll live in a way that you could only live if you got a launch that came from justification. The just shall live by faith. The Lord supplies us. That's why we're told, told to hold the head from which all the body and bands joined together receiveth nourishment, groweth. That's how we grow, by receiving nourishment from our Lord Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you, remind you about the miracle of conversion that, ha that happened in your life. That it wasn't by the will of man or by uh, the force of man in your life or some convincing of some sort. It was because of the mercies of God, the grace of God that saved you and how God used that precious authoritative word of God that we're standing on. We were singing the song, Standing on the Promises of God. Well, that's what this book is, The Promises of God. One brother was having difficulty one night. He was a new convert and he felt like the devil was just telling him, you're not a believer, you're not really a believer. And he was really feeling guilty and feeling unworthy to call himself a Christian. And this was 3 o'clock in the morning, and he, and he was so, like, distraught by it. He finally turned the light on. He, he reached over to, his, uh, to the uh, dresser there. He grabbed his Bible. He opened it up, and he found John 3.16, and he said, Here, devil, this is why I'm a child of God, because God loved me and sent his son to die for me, and that settled the matter. He put his Bible down, and he went to sleep like a baby. Standing on the promises of God. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. We, we have a trustworthy God. God will never repent of his actions. He's not an India giver. What he gives is something that we have permanently, and we can rejoice in that. Brothers and sisters, there is no other gospel. There is no other place to go. If we fall from grace... We're still in the hands of Almighty God. There was a work crew that was working in, on the San Francisco Bay Golden Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge. And uh, they were working hard in high elevated spots. And there was a, a nervousness that one of the foremen noticed that the men that were working, they weren't working with, with real focus. And they told the, the contractor of the whole operation the, the situation that they were noticing that the men weren't performing at full tilt. And they said, the reason is because they're fearful that if they fall, they're going to fall into a watery grave. 
So what the foreman, the, uh, the owner of the, the whole contract company did, he, 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 he uh, built a large, gigantic net underneath the whole project. So anyone that was working on that Golden Gate Bridge and doing all their work up there, riveting and so on and so forth, if they looked down and if they slipped and if they fell, guess what? They were going to fall safely into a net, not into a watery grave. That's a consolation to us that though we may fall, we're still in the hands of Almighty God. In his arms, we can never be released. So praise Lord that we have that security. So may God bless his word to us all, brothers and sisters. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope our Lord has been glorified. And I thank you for the opportunity to present the word. Read the book of Galatians. And Paul confirms his apostleship as he contrasts himself with the Judaizers who were boasting in how they could get these Galatians to get physically uh, circumcised. He says... I bear in my body the brand marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of brand marks do you and I have for the Lord Jesus? What, is, what does our obedience look like? You know, it's not slavery. It's not slavery. We are freemen. We serve the Lord freely. His commandments are not grievous. It's something that we love. If you love the Lord, you're going to love his word, you're going to want to live for him, and you'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. May the Lord bless your day, brothers and sisters.